Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey guys, it's Sean. We got Sean back. We missed you, buddy. It's good to be back. So, yeah, good to hear. Good to hear. A uh, couple of updates. Uh, we just finished off our um, noobs tournament uh, for July here. And, uh, you know, if I would have been a little bit more prepared, I would have already had that up. But uh, <laughs> I believe we had, was it the Alabama? Guy. I looked at a little bit real quick. Scotty uh, Wilson. Yeah, what was his last name? My internet is failing me right now. Whoops. Come on. That's like everybody wants to log in to turn the X right now because it's <laughs> yeah. spinning and it's spinning. Scotty oh. Wilson from Alabama. Scotty Wilson. That's right. So I haven't made the official. Uh, announcement on Facebook yet, but uh, if he listens to this on Monday, uh, Scotty Wilson, great job. You just punched your ticket to the Noobs Championship coming up in October. Uh, we should have more details coming up on uh, that championship uh, probably next month in September. So way to go. Keep grinding out there. And tomorrow starts for August. So I'm very curious to see. People are going to be putting up for those. Yeah. No. I, well, I was looking at Scotty. Scotty's biggest fish is twenty one point seven five. Yeah. So yeah. That was nice. A quarter of his total. Like yeah, just <laughs> yeah. a fifth. I was like, dang. That's yeah. Nice. That was nice. I mean, he's from Alabama, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Yep. I mean, down south states. Yeah, they're they're usually pretty big. Big <laughs> fish down south. You know. 
That's cheaters. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh shoot. <clears throat> well, today we've uh, got an awesome special guest with us today. Um, we have Mr. Frank, and hopefully I don't butcher your last name. Is it Sladek? Sladek. You're close. It's Sladek. Sladek. Gotcha. Yeah. It's actually Czech for beer master. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. Love it. Uh, Frank is from the Jake Wolf Memorial Fish Hatchery here in Illinois. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to let Frank introduce himself, uh, maybe a little bit of history about you and kind of what you do and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, We always love doing different media platforms at the hatchery and, you know, just expanding the reach of what we do. So, yeah, my name's Frank Sladek. I'm our Natural Resources Coordinator at Jake Wolf Memorial Fish Hatchery in Topeka, Illinois, which is just south of Peoria, Illinois, and we are the largest state-run fish hatchery in Illinois. Uh, We raise over 15 species of fish each year, and between the three hatcheries that are run by the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, Uh, We actually raise over 20 different species of fish, and we stock, uh, on average, about 20 million fish in the state of Illinois every single year. Wow. Uh, As far as myself goes, I'm our natural resources coordinator at the hatchery, and it's my job to do public programming, including hatchery tours. I do school visits. I do scout programs. I also just do community events, fishing derbies. Uh, we had an event at Starve Rock last weekend that was really good, or this last weekend, I should say, and that was a good turnout. And then I also assist at the hatchery with some non-fish projects as well. Uh, we don't just raise fish at our hatchery. We also raise dragonflies, crayfish. We did raise freshwater mussels from uh, the last couple of years. That program's kind of on hold right now, but uh, we don't just raise fish. But yeah, my main duty is education and outreach. So that's why I love doing the media like this is just because I get to talk a little bit and tell people what we do. That sounds really cool. That sounds like a pretty sweet job. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, I've been doing environmental education now for, God, about 18 years or so. Uh, Started my career as a fishing instructor up in Chicago. I grew up right outside the city in a town called Berwyn, Illinois. Uh, which some people may know. And if you don't know Berwyn, uh, we are next to Cicero, Illinois, which I'm sure many people know. So, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I've been fishing since I could stand up and I, you know, I've held many titles over my career. Uh, My background's in zoology. So I've, I've worked with all different types of animals, but uh, fish are definitely one of my favorite groups of animals and I get to work with them every day. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew how much cleaning uh, at a hatchery was involved, you probably wouldn't be as jealous. As, <laughs> as with most jobs, there's going to be the non-glamorous parts of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what, though? They, we have a great team. And uh, I'll tell you, our staff, man, especially our technicians, are the backbone of a facility like that. And when you're having to keep uh, tabs on over a million animals every single day, that's a lot of work. Uh, I always say our fish are good at three things. They're good at eating, swimming, and going to the bathroom. So, 
How much, what, like, what's the staff like there? Like, how many people does it take to manage that many fish? Yeah, so believe it or not, uh, we're a 160-acre facility in Sand Ridge State Forest. Um, so we're surrounded by about 7,000 acres of state forest. And we only have uh, a little over a dozen staff managing wow. the property every single day. But we will be getting some new staff in the coming months. Um, full staff, we're probably around two dozen people or so. But uh, we've been managing, you know, we've had some great summer interns. We've got our techs, we've got our managers, uh, our culturist, and then, of course, myself to do the educational program. So, you know, we've got a good team and, uh, yeah, we make it work. Very cool. That's that's impressive for the amount of fish that you guys handle and <laughs> other species too, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, I guess exactly what is the main purpose of you know maybe not just your hatchery but fish hatcheries in general you know um you know the main purpose main goals um stuff like that sure yeah so you know fish hatcheries at least in illinois have been around for over 100 years now and initially what they were trying to do is actually replace fish that were lost through natural events so I won't get too heavy in the names and everything, but basically what happened is there was uh, teams of scientists at the turn of the century who were determining that there was loss in river systems uh, due to waters receding after floods. So the backwaters, you know, your oxbow lakes, your sloughs, areas like that, basically fish were getting trapped. And when the water dried up, you would lose those fish because obviously there's no water for them to be in. So what they determined is to compensate for those natural losses, fish hatcheries should be created to stock more fish into lakes. And in addition to that, another reason that hatcheries came about was to increase sport fishing opportunities for anglers. So, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of the fish that we're catching in the state are stocked by the IDNR. Uh, and they're not naturally occurring fish, or even if they are, maybe their natural reproduction's not so good. So, you know, there's many reasons why hatcheries exist, but if I could name the big three, it would be for increasing sport fishing opportunities amongst anglers. Um, it would also be to supplement wild populations for the reasons that I just mentioned and more, you know, because there's a lot of areas where natural reproduction just isn't that good or it's not even happening. And then the third reason, which is a little more recent, is conservation of endangered species. So we're not only trying to enhance angling opportunities for anglers like yourselves, but we're also helping wild populations by supplementing stock. And what we're also doing is conserving species, um, a couple of which we are raising this year. You know, so those are really the big reasons why hatcheries exist. And this just isn't just on a state level. This is a federal level as well. You know, we do partner with state and federal hatcheries in our efforts. So it's not just us doing this. We have a whole network throughout the United States. That's awesome. Um, a guest that I had on previously, he was a uh, fish and marine biologist out of, um, uh, my gosh, what state was that? Um, one of the northeastern states. Oh gosh, I'm going to was it Delaware? Oh man, I'm oh <laughs> brain fart. It's a Monday. Um, anyway, he was telling me that I and I don't know if you know much about this either, but how 
like a lot of the non-native fish got here is back, you know, turn of the century or whatnot. They just shipped boxcars of fish and water and just threw them in lakes because they're like, oh, let's see what will survive here in a sense. And I was like floored by that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it was definitely uh, not as, I don't even want to use the word sophisticated because if you look at the way our trucks stock the fish, I mean, really, it's just fish getting shot out of a truck out of a big water pipe. Um, yeah. Although there is a lot more that goes into it. I And again, I, you know, if any other DNR staff or anybody are going to watch this podcast, you know, I'm not trying to downplay what we do, but you're absolutely right. You know, 100 years ago, I mean, they were traveling with these fish by rail car. And a lot of the times they'd actually get the passengers to help to do water changes. Uh, and they just stock the fish sometimes you know, whatever lake or river was right next to the train tracks. So, yeah, I mean, they were stocking fish in areas that, you know, may not have uh, in modern age been deemed for stocking sites. But, you know, again, this is 100 years ago. So, you know, now you're seeing those populations of fish and uh, more. But, you know, we stock both native and non-native fish in what we do. So, and it's definitely more thought out process nowadays. (laughs) Um, and that kind of goes into what we stock, you know, uh, it's not just, you know, throw fish in any lake, pond or river. Certain fish can only survive in certain areas. Uh, perfect example is salmon in Lake Michigan. There's no other place in Illinois where stocking salmon because they just wouldn't survive. But something like a largemouth bass, we could stock in every corner of the state and they should do just fine. But there still is a lot of thought that goes into it. Uh, and it's a whole team that decides, you know, what we're stocking, where we're stocking, and how much we're stocking uh, every single year. I'm sure there's a big balance that goes into that. Just, you know, what species are going to be, you know, more predatorial for the other species and, you know, that kind of thing, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a good example of that is muskie. Um, you know, we stock muskie throughout the state. But the thing with muskie is that you can't stock very many of them because they are at the top of the food chain. Um, just to give you an idea of stocking numbers, you know, usually when we're stocking muskie, it's one fish per surface acre. So if a lake's 500 acres, that's 500 young muskie that we're stocking. You don't really want to go over that because then you run the risk of overpopulating the lake. And that's not good for a fishery, you know, so you kind of have to hit that sweet spot between uh, overstocking, understocking. You know, you have to hit that area in the middle. And if you do, you get great fisheries. Um, but that's why, you know, we have a whole team of biologists that do lake surveys, just like any state does. You know, it's not just us. Uh, we have a whole team in fisheries that determines, you know, what fish are being stocked and where they're being stocked. I was always curious how you how you come up with how, how to stock a river, because, you know, like I, I live next to the Susquehanna and it's a mile wide and, you know, huge. It runs, you know, the whole state of Pennsylvania into New York and Maryland and like, how do you like say I, I want to put trout or uh, bass here so I, I can catch bass? But who knows if the bass are going to stay where you put them? Or yeah, know. absolutely. Like I said, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, in my particular position, I don't really have any say in that. <laughs> so that would be a question, maybe for a future guest, maybe one of our biologists, or even just a biologist from another state. I mean, it's similar in every state. Um, And there are differences, but I mean, again, it just boils down to, well, what can the system handle? Kind of where are the populations at right now? What's our goal for this uh, particular watershed or water body? And how can we get there? 
Um, and, you know, we do adjust stocking levels each year. Um, and some of these lakes are not stocked annually. It might be a biannual or triannual stocking where, you know, it might only happen every two or three years. Um, but a lot of that depends on the species of fish. And again, what the biologists and our managers and our team want. Um, and also just the state of the fisheries too. So like I said, I mean, we could have a whole just segment talking about that, but I know there's a lot more you guys want to know. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Oh man. Yeah. We need to have like five more episodes with you just to talk about some of the different things here. Um, so yeah, so kind of going back a little bit about, you know, the different species, um, of fish that you guys do. Uh, manage and whatnot. So I'll, I'll kind of touch base on like the most popular one that uh, people have been raving about. And then uh, we can dive deep more into um, salmon and whatnot, because that's my favorite one. Sure. <laughs> but uh, you guys had just recently announced that uh, you got in some sturgeon, which is... This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's totally mind-blowing and amazing. So, and I know that this is kind of a relatively new area for you guys because you haven't had them in some years. So, yeah, let's talk about them. Yeah, so... Um... You know, the nice thing is, and I, I can't speak on this too much because, again, this is a species we haven't worked with in many, many years. But, um, yeah, it's very exciting, you know, anytime you work with a threatened or endangered species because that's another thing that hatcheries are trying to do more of on both a state and federal level is, you know, reintroduce these threatened and endangered species to our waterways. Um, and lake sturgeon, you know, are one of our largest native fish. So it was really exciting to get them. And it was also a little scary just because, you know, it's been so long since we've worked with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a quick backstory. They came in from uh, Neosho uh, Federal Fish Hatchery in Missouri a couple weeks ago. They were actually born up in Wisconsin at Genoa, which is another federal hatchery. Uh, that's one of our partner groups. And they came in at about two inches long. Uh, I'm actually glad they came in a bit later than they did because uh, we were going to feed them brine shrimp. And uh, if you've never raised brine shrimp, it is a daily ordeal. So after a certain size, they get on blood worms, just like you get at the pet store. Uh, so when they came in, they were just getting on blood worms, which was good news <laughs> because uh, those are much easier to just thaw out a block of those and feed them out than to raise brine shrimp every day. But uh, yeah, you know, as far as stocking and everything goes, that's to be determined. Um, and just raising them, you know, basically 
It's just making sure they're healthy every day and that they're eating well and they're growing real nice. They're getting big old bellies on them. Uh, <laughs> sturgeon, you know, are pretty slow growing fish, but they can grow pretty quickly in the early stages of life. But uh, they've been fun to watch. They're like little sharks and it's exciting to work with them. Um, I've never worked with sturgeon before, so it's real exciting. And, uh, you know, just to see them that small and to think that they're going to be potentially a couple hundred pounds in the next few decades, uh, it's exciting. But it's, you know, sturgeon are like oak trees. They don't grow big overnight. So it's it's kind of a waiting game. So, I mean, I'm going to be an old man when these guys are huge. Um <laughs> But, you know, hopefully I make it that long to see them at that, you know, seven, eight foot size and a few hundred pounds. That'd be really cool. That would be really yeah. neat. Mm-hmm. Where, um, and, I, and I know some of this may still yet to be determined, but like, do you have any like focused areas that you plan to reach? Um, again, we can't speak too much on that right now. Yeah. Um, there are several departments that are involved. Um, I've, you know, I've worked with endangered species um of different types in the past and uh, you know there's a lot of layers that go into it so again i can't speak too much on it but um <laughs> you know i would think i mean one of their native um ranges or habitats in illinois is the mississippi river yep. um so i would think that's going to be one of our main focuses but i don't want to say too much just because that's yet to be determined um but you know i i would think the major rivers are definitely going to be a focus for us and as far as anything else goes, yeah, I can't speak too much on that at this point. I know, uh, like, I've read a little bit about sturgeon and stuff, and I remember reading, like, their skin is very, like, paper, almost, like, paper thin, or you have to be careful when you're handling them. Is that, like, an extra challenge, or how does that work with uh, – is you that know, one of your more fragile species? Or uh, how do... <laughs> Believe it or not, no. Um, okay. You know, sturgeon actually – so I won't, again, I won't get too heavy into the science, but they're actually covered in a uh, primitive scale and uh, gar have the same type of scale. It actually is covered in a substance or contains a substance that's similar to tooth enamel. So oh, wow. that's okay. what gives, yeah. So that's what gives them that hard uh, outer surface and makes them armor plated okay. uh, just like, just like gar um, and bowfin as well. So those are, you know, that's the same type of scale. But as far as um, sensitivity goes, you know, when any fish is young like this, you have to be careful with diet. You have to be careful with monitoring water quality and everything else. Uh, I always say that a fish hatchery is very similar to preschool, like we're preschool for fish. (laughs) Because, you know, the bigger the fish get and the better fitness they have, the better chance they have at surviving. But when they're young like this, a lot of species are fragile. Um, You know, but as far as the sturgeon go, within the species we raise i i wouldn't say they're our most difficult by far um believe it or not one of our hardest species uh to come to mind right away uh musky and largemouth bass believe it or not really yeah um and a lot of that has to do with um musky i again i wish i had more time to talk about this but just to give (laughs) you an idea uh musky are not the brightest fish (laughs) Um, and they also can be prone to different diseases, um, and they cannibalize. So that's the other thing is largemouth bass are the same way is they can stress out. And anytime you get stressed, you can get illness or disease. 
And uh, the other thing with bass is they love to eat each other. So, you know, sturgeon, that's not a problem. And even our other fish like salmon and trout, we don't have to worry about cannibalism. But the bass and the muskie, oh, they're horrible. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of effort to raise, especially a fish like a muskie. But the sturgeon really haven't been too bad. Uh, Mostly it's just getting them on feed. And once you get them on a feeding regimen and make sure the water's clean, you know, it's been pretty straightforward with those little guys. Neat. Yep. That's really cool. Um, just a couple more questions about the sturgeon. So what what size um, pools or whatnot are needed for them, like, at this current size? And then, like, are you going to have to move them to, like, bigger containers, you know, as they get bigger? Like, yeah. how, do you, how do you manage so- all that? Yeah, so that's something we have to do with the fish pretty consistently is we do have to um, split them into smaller groups as they grow. Uh, So the sturgeon are in what's called circ tanks, basically just short for circular tanks. There are these big green tanks we have. I couldn't tell you how many gallons they are. But basically, the nice thing about our facility is that we have constant water flow. Uh, We sit on top of an aquifer, so we have cold, clean water coming into the hatchery every single day of the year. We just have to oxygenate it or aerate it before it gets to the fish. But, you know, for cold water and cool water fish, it's great because you really don't have to do anything to the water. As as long as the flow's steady, you know, there's clean water coming in every second of the day for these fish. Um, But, you know, sturgeon do like to swim, too. So that's important to keep that flow on them. Um, And then as far as splitting them, I don't know how long we're going to keep them. But I would assume we're probably going to have to uh, grade them out or split them into smaller groups. Uh, Some of the fish we actually have to split by size class because of what I mentioned before with the cannibalize or or the cannibalization um, where they eat each other. You know, like bass, we have to split them pretty consistently because if you leave the big ones with the small ones, you end up with just a few big ones and no small (laughs) ones. Um, In fact, there's another species we're raising uh, this year that we haven't had in a few years, which are alligator gar. And, uh, you know, with the cannibalization and just the grading or splitting those fish, um, it's very important for species like that, too, because right now we've got fish that are 10 weeks old uh, and we've got some that are four inches long and we've got some that are 15 inches long and they're the same age. So, you have to, yeah, you have to stay on top of splitting them so they don't eat each other. But with the sturgeon, that's not a problem. Uh, but as far as, you know, splitting them in smaller groups, yeah, we do that uh, as size dictates. And, you know, if they get too big for their tank, we'll split them into smaller groups or we'll move them into bigger housing. But to be honest with you, I'm not sure how long we're even going to keep the sturgeon for. Um, standard size for us, as far as stocking goes, is what's called fingerling size. So about size of your index finger. Um, although we do raise some fish to be larger than that, and we do release some fish at fry stage, so when they're really small. But um, standard for our facility is usually fingerling size for most species, so in that like four to six or seven inch range. Wow, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, go ahead, I, I was just going to ask, you know, can you run, a, run down the species real quick? You said um, 15? Oh, that we raise? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Let's see here. Um, <laughs> so Jake Wolf, we do the most species. Um, and I always compare us. It's, it's you know, we do a lot of kids programs. So this is kind of a comparison I like to use. But our facility uh, is like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. 
because we raise warm, cool, and cold water fish. So some fish like it hot, some fish like it cold, some fish like it just right. Uh, so as far as the cold water fish go, I, I might have to use my hands here, but um, <laughs> let's see. We raise Chinook or King Salmon. Uh, we raise Coho Salmon. We raise Brown Trout, Steelhead, Rainbow Trout. So that's five. Uh, we raise Smallmouth Bass, Largemouth Bass, Black Crappie. Oh, let's see here. Hybrid Stripers. Uh, alligator gar, so that's 10. Um, oh man, uh, northern pike muskie, that's 12. Oh man, you're putting me on the spot here. I got, <laughs> I got three more to go. Um, we do also release uh, walleye as well, okay? So that's 13. Uh, and then we also do, oh man, I know I'm forgetting something here. Um, oh my god, oh my Gosh. lord. Of course, the lake sturgeon, which we're not counting as a species yet because we okay. don't every year. And again, because of their status, you know, we're not really going to talk too much about those. Um, and there's two more that I'm blanking on, and I'm going to kick myself when I remember them. Um, but as far as other species in the Illinois system, we also do channel catfish, blue catfish, red-eared sunfish, bluegill, and uh, sauger, sawguy. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, my Lord. <laughs> There's one that I'm missing, but that's, I believe that was 19 or 20 right there. So yeah, a lot of Very different. Cool. Yeah. As yeah. far as cold water goes, the only thing we don't raise is lake trout. Um, and then as far as like the warm water species, you know, we don't do flathead catfish. Um, you know, like I said, we do both species of bass. We do black crappie. Um, a lot of people ask us about like paddlefish or spoonbills. We don't currently do those, but that might be something in the future. Uh, we used to do tiger muskie. We used to do pure striper instead of the hybrids. But uh, those are species we don't currently do at this time. But uh, yeah, I think I nailed pretty much all of them. <laughs> well, that's that's very cool. And and you and I, I'm sure there's all sorts of you know uh, science that goes into how many you release, how many of those you think will survive. You know and you know, that kind of thing. I, I just think that would be really cool. And, and, um, do you, do you track them in any way or, you know, like any of them to see, you know, how many or where, okay, I, we put this one in here and we think it will survive or, or we know it survived. Sure. Because... Yeah. So actually this is something since we were talking about hatcheries nationwide versus just Illinois, uh, a lot of hatcheries mark their fish in different ways. So um, one of the ways we mark our fish is actually we raise a species called black nose crappie. And they're actually just black mm -hmm. crappie with a line down their face. It looks like somebody took a Sharpie and just drew on their <laughs> forehead and their chins. Um, now, now, we don't do that at Jake Wolf, but we do, um, we do actually breed them so they're born with that stripe. And that's a way to identify them when they leave the hatchery. And that is a naturally occurring thing. But as far as um, us doing something to the fish before they get released, uh, common practice is, especially with salmon, is to clip one of the fins off. And that actually identifies them as a hatchery fish. Now, I'm sure Susie knows this because she's caught uh, Chinook and Coho up in Lake Michigan. But a lot of those fish will be missing what's called their adipose fin, which is near their tail. Uh, and it's just a it looks like a little skin tag. And we actually clipped that off. Now, for many years, we did that by hand, but Fish and Wildlife, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, actually has several trailers that do it through wow. a machine. Yeah, they have these multi-million dollar trailers that can knock out tens of thousands of fish in an afternoon. Wow. And the fish wow. are under for the procedures, you know, so they're not feeling anything. Um, but basically, you do that fin clip, 
And if you catch one of those fish in the wild and it is missing one of their fins, especially that adipose fin, uh, that shows that that fish came from a hatchery and was not born in the wild. Now, the reason we do that is, and you kind of touched on this already, is we actually do that to track wild populations versus captive uh, reared or hatchery born fish. And the reason we do that is because let's say in the Great Lakes, for example, if you catch mostly salmon that have that fin, that's showing you that there's natural reproduction going on. However, if most of the fish you're catching do not have that adipose fin, that shows or basically there's not a lot of natural reproduction going on. Uh, and in the Chicagoland area, that's true because, you know, there's nowhere for the salmon to spawn uh, and the Chicago River does not count. So, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's the reason we mark the fish is to track wild populations and kind of see what our return rates are. Uh, and it's not just us that does that. It's, you know, hatcheries all over the nation. Uh, they can also tag fish for various reasons for studies, whether it be harvest, maybe they're doing radio tracking. Um, you know, they might do what's called a pit tag, where it's a tag that's uh, shaped like a pill and they can run a scanner over it to see the last time they captured that fish. Uh, we do that with our alligator gar here in the state in some areas. So, I mean, there's different ways to do that. It's not just us, but yeah, there's definitely ways to mark the fish uh, before we release them. Cool. Yeah, I've definitely, uh, I've caught some uh, smallmouth up in northern Wisconsin that I'll have like a, uh, like almost like a tag, like a kind of a long skinny tag with numbers on it and it's yellow and it's kind of like up by their middle dorsal fin so i i've, I've caught a few different ones that i'm like what is this <laughs> yeah and it's you know the the thing about those you mentioned is that some of these tags like the uh they call them spaghetti tags or floyd tags what you're referring to it looks like a colorful noodle hanging off the fish yes. Yeah. A lot of those have phone numbers that you can actually call a biologist and actually get some more information on the study, but also report your catch. So that's something to keep in mind for any um, anglers that are listening, is that if you catch those fish, look for a phone number on the tag, and you can call the biologist and see what the study's about, and also just you know report your catch, and they can get some data, whatever it is, uh, on that particular species, which is really cool. That is pretty cool. I'll have to remember that because I'm going to be going up to uh, northern Wisconsin again the end of August. So if so I catch one of those, I'll uh, have to look for a phone number. So there's another tag just real quick um, that a lot of people wouldn't know about because it's actually in the fish's head or nose. Uh, it's a wire tag that they put in trout uh, and they can put it in other species too. But what that wire tag is, it's about the size of a human hair and it goes in the fish's nose uh, and if you look at it under a microscope, it actually has a series of letters and numbers, a code, and that'll tell you where the fish is from and what year it was born. So Jake Wolf has its own batch tags for the trout that we tagged this year. Uh, and some of those fish might be captured in Michigan or Wisconsin, you know, far from home. So that's another reason we track is to look at kind of where they've gone or where they're captured. That's pretty cool, you know, yeah. that they can travel that far. Yeah, that's really neat. Oh, yeah. yeah. When uh, So the salmon fishing tournament that we host in uh, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, Wisconsin DNR usually likes to come out um, for the award ceremony because that's when everybody lines up their catch. We measure them or whatnot, and then they will take them 
and then they they'll do like measurements and whatnot and then they'll scan their heads looking for like the little wire tag tags inside and like when i first saw them doing that i was like what are you guys doing and then they told me i was like that's like that's amazing it's awesome what they can so those, do and what they can track so those people do have a name they call them headhunters <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> but yeah it was really cool and i think like over the couple of years you know i mean they'll usually get you know quite a few scans in there with the, the fish that come in and uh we we've caught um uh not as many like wild uh chinook uh in lake michigan but we majority of what we catch are the the stock because they're missing the the clipped fins in there yeah absolutely and that goes back to what i said earlier that's just helping us look at recruitment and you know survivorship and also just see how wild populations are doing but, you know, that's one of the reasons we stock is to just supplement those wild stocks. Or if there's no recruitment, you know, you need fish to take the place of the ones that might be passing away or just enhance the fishery. Um, we do that with muskie here in Illinois, you know. Uh, muskie are, are a stocked fish. Uh, from what we've seen, there's really not natural recruitment here in Illinois. So if you catch a muskie in Illinois, it came from us, it came from Jake Wolf. I was going to say, there's probably quite a few populations of fish that you guys are pretty much the only reason they're still around. You know? Yeah, and I could, you know, and that's something when we give tours of the facility or when I'm doing programs, I mean, usually I'll list off a list of fish that people might have caught. And all the fish I list off are fish we stock every year, you know, and I don't think a lot of anglers realize that. And again, this isn't just Illinois. This is on a national level. I don't think anglers realize how many fish are actually stocked into the waterways in their state. Right. Yeah. Hence why, you know, having you on here, because like, you know, I'm sure, you know, relatively new anglers, you know, not really going back into history or whatnot, really check into, you know, the finer details of, okay, well, what is a natural fish for this body of water that I'm fishing at? Are these stocked fish? Do these, you know, fish, do they uh, reproduce on their own or are they, you know, supplemented by a hatchery? So it, it's very fascinating to learn all this uh, information as an angler myself. Yeah, there's a lot of layers that go into it, like I said. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty mind boggling, you know, just the history and kind of how we've come to where we're at. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we do great work and, you know, it's, uh, it's always nice to see the anglers catching the fish that we raised. So. And uh, where, where does your funding come from? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of our funding actually comes from fishing license sales in the state of Illinois. So that's the great part too, is that the anglers who are buying their licenses, which everybody should, um, you know, it, make sure to buy your license if you haven't. So that's just a little PSA. <laughs> but, um, you know, I I don't think, again, that's something a lot of anglers realize is that those license sales are going right back to our division uh, and right back to keeping the hatcheries operating. Um, and then also we do get some federal funds as well. But uh, fishing license sales definitely make up a big portion of it. Uh, and there's like I said, there's other funds involved as well. But you know, that's the great thing about doing what we do is that, you know, we can see the results of what the anglers are catching and the fish that we're stocking and it comes right back to us, you know, so we can keep doing it uh, every single year, which is great. And actually our hatchery, we just celebrated our 40th year anniversary. So that's pretty exciting. 
Awesome. Yeah, we've yeah, been doing congrats. this for quite some time, so. <laughs> and that's very cool. I mean, it is like a, a great big cycle. And, and you know, I, I think if more folks realize that, that, you know, they wouldn't feel as, uh, oh, man, I got to go buy my license again. When they realize that, you know, a majority of the fish that they catch are coming directly from, you know, the, the, they're funding their own, you know, sport. And, and yeah. you know, that'll help. If more people realize that, I think it would help grow the sport. And, it you know, it would help, you know everybody around and just keep keep that cycle going you know it it just seems like uh you know it, it's sad that people don't always know that or realize that so yeah and it, you know illinois is a lot of anglers um one of the programs we do to really get back to the anglers is the inland trout program so we stock catchable rainbows twice a year in the spring and the fall so those are the rainbows that they're definitely not shaped like steelhead um, I, you know, they are domestic, so I, I call them chickens with fins, but, um, you know, if you've ever caught, <laughs> if you've ever caught a stocked rainbow, you know, that's a species that, uh, the state stocks and, uh, the rainbows, you know, we call them catchables because they're at the size where you could actually catch them, take them home and make a meal out of them if you'd like. But, uh, that's a, that's a huge thing. I mean, I grew up just outside Chicago and some of the forest preserve lakes where we'd stock these fish. I mean, you'd see a couple hundred cars on opening weekend. Oh, yeah. You know, so, but it's yes. a great way to get anglers involved and not just kids. I mean, people of all ages. Uh, one of the great things about fishing is that it's an extremely accessible sport and it's inclusive. You know, you could be any age, race, ethnicity, uh, religion, or skill level and still go fishing. Uh, and that's, you know, the inland trout program is a good example of that because you can go out and catch a trout dinner uh, even with limited skills. So, Yep. And uh, do you guys take volunteers at all for you? Because I know here in Pennsylvania, like they take volunteers for fish stocking and stuff. But like, uh, you know, you can actually volunteer and go help, uh, you know, take buckets of trout out. And, you know, they'll, they'll obviously they don't just give you a trout and be like, here, go to this <laughs> creek. But you can you can sure. go and help them. It's very cool. Yeah. So as far as volunteering goes, unfortunately, we have pretty limited opportunities at this time. Um, we get quite a few requests for volunteering. Um as far as driving the trucks and stocking the fish, it's a little bit difficult because uh, some of our sites require a CDL uh, because oh, of the gotcha. size of the vehicles we're driving. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then also, you know, there's there's as far as opportunities go, it can be kind of boom or bust sometimes. Like, you know, one time uh, in the early spring, for example, you know, we're harvesting and spawning musky and pike. But that only lasts for maybe a week and a half, two weeks. Um, right. And really, we usually have enough hands at the hatchery that we don't need assistance. Um, fin clipping is another example. You know, most of that's automated now, although we do still have Salmon Unlimited from Chicago come down um, and do it by hand. Um, and, you know, they're still very efficient with the speed that they can clip these fish. I mean, we had, oh, God, probably a couple dozen volunteers at the hatchery this spring, and they knocked out almost 100,000 fish in the half wow. day. So, I mean, wow. they were just, yeah, so they were just flipping like crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, volunteering is limited at this time, but it's something we're exploring for future seasons just because we do get a lot of requests. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, I know you, you have a little bit of limited time. Was there any other topics that you wanted to cover? Yeah, I've got about 20 minutes or so left. I'd love to talk longer. Um, as I told Susie, I'm at the local library right now uh, using <laughs> one of their conference rooms just because it's nice and quiet in here. 
Um, and the internet connection is awesome. So, <laughs> um, oh God. Uh, you know, I know Susie wanted to cover kind of salmon and trout up in yeah. Lake Michigan. Uh, so we can maybe touch on that. Cause uh, again, you know, I'm a South sider. So I, I grew up fishing for salmon and trout and yellow perch on Lake Michigan too. That's something that I love fishing for. Uh, and that is, uh, some of the species that we stock at Jake Wolf are the cold waters, you know, your salmon and your trout. So just to kind of give you an idea, uh, this year we stocked just under 500,000 salmon in the Chicagoland area. That includes the coho and the Chinook. And then we just finished up stocking brown trout in several of the harbors uh, in July. And then we'll be stocking steelhead in September. Uh, and that's we're going to have to wait for the water temps to come down before we do that, just because it can't be too hot. Uh, and a lot of that is just waiting for the winds to cooperate. And then those, mm -hmm. those temperatures tank. Um, again, as if anybody's fished the Great Lakes know, you know, it can go from high 60s to low 50s in a matter of a couple days. And that's when you want to get those fish in. But yeah, we've been stocking salmon and trout uh, for decades in Lake Michigan. And uh, those are introduced fish. They're non-native. But, you know, for anybody who's fished the Great Lakes, no, you could go to the cent center of the country, the Midwest, and you can catch trophy salmon and trout. Um, and I, I have almost fought people on this, but I still am under the impression and belief that we have some of the biggest, if not the biggest brown trout, uh, in the world, in the great lakes. I mean, I can't think of any other place you can have a shot at a 30 pound Brown. I mean, there's some absolute horses <laughs> yes. and those are our That's fish cool. too, which is, you know, not just Illinois, but those are other States fish that we're stocking. So, I mean, it's awesome to see these trophy fish coming out of the great lakes. Um, and even just catching the Chinook in the fall run or oh. catching coho in the spring. I mean, that's that was an annual tradition for um, me and my friends when we were growing up and in college. We'd go hit the coho run in March and April, and then we'd hit uh, the Chinook, you know, end of August, September. And we'd be fishing right next to Soldier Field, you know, where the bears play. So wow. it, it's pretty cool. You can catch fish from shore like that. Exactly. Yeah. And and mainly due to the, you know, the hatcheries and what you guys do right now. I mean, that's what makes that possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is some, like I said, there are some big fish in Lake oh. Michigan. Um, I caught my personal best brown trout right behind the Adler Planetarium, which is again, right downtown Chicago. Uh, it was on a homemade hair jig of all things and six pound test. So Nice. Yeah, so that was that was a bit sketchy, but uh, managed to get him in and take a picture and release, and that was a beautiful fish. Oh. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we do work all over the state, but uh, we definitely What's... get more recognition for like the salmon and trout program up in Lake Michigan for sure. What's the logistics involved with sh getting the fish that far? Because I mean, I'm sure they're not <laughs> close. Well, um, we basically have trucks with big metal tanks on the back. We okay. load them up with water. We have oxygen bottles on the tanks. Uh, what we do is we actually weigh out the fish to get a count on how many we have. So, you know, it's similar to if you go to the grocery store, we do weigh fish by the pound. But then we actually count out the individual fish in a pound. Uh, our trucks can only handle so many pounds of fish, so you don't want to put too many. But also you have to keep in mind that different harbors uh, in the Great Lakes, you know, Lake Michigan, or even just different stocking sites throughout the state have quotas, um, you know, or stocking requests that we have to meet. So, you know, if they ask for 10,000 trout, we're not going to put 50,000 trout in there. We're going to put the 10,000 
and that's going to be it for the site. Um, but you know, we load up the trucks, we get on the road early in the morning. We do have oxygen again on those tanks. So we measure oxygen levels, uh, and we have meters that actually do that for us. And going from central Illinois, even up to Chicago, a short trip is maybe four and a half hours, even for the okay. south side harbors. And that's because you're stopping every hour to check oh, oxygen yeah. levels. You're checking the health of the fish. Hopefully you don't get a flat tire, which hasn't happened in my time there. But uh, again, it can happen. So you want to make sure to get those fish in the lake um, in a timely manner. But even when we get to the lake, we're checking oxygen levels. We're checking water temps. We're making sure conditions are right. So those fish that we've worked so hard to raise you know, for the last half year or so, you know, are going in healthy and they're going in clean. We don't want any hiccups. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it too, but it's fun to watch them go in because again, you just hook up a pipe to the back of the truck and it's like a big water slide for the fish. <laughs> yeah. um, and I should mention with fish like salmon, we do stock them near the back of the harbors just because it helps them kind of make an internal GPS point so they can go back to those harbors where we stock them, um, just like they would return to their home rivers in the wild. You know, so it's that internal waypoint where you're finding those fish going back to those same harbors uh, once they're ready to spawn. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. It's really cool. Yep. Interesting. Um, I was going to ask you, so like what kind of mortality rate um, do you guys experience with, you know, certain types of fish i know you were talking about like the cannibalism you know with large yeah don't even get me start out on the bass oh my <laughs> god so that's why we that's why we collect more eggs than we need because you're always going to lose some um now that's not to say you know that we're killing a lot of fish um but what i'm trying to get at is that you know you're going to lose some no matter what even with your best efforts but that's just how fish are built that's why they have so many eggs that's why they have so many offspring um you know when you're baby fish you have a big target on your back pretty much right. anything and everything including your own brothers and sisters want to make a meal <laughs> out of you so you know you have to be uh cognizant of that or you have to keep that in mind when you're raising these fish is that you're going to lose some there's going to be some loss but what i do want to say is that you know what a lot of anglers don't realize too is that in the wild you know there's a lot of populations that you get less than one percent return rate you know, yep. so if a fish has 10,000 eggs, for example, less than 100 of those are going to make it to adult size. Um, whereas in a hatchery, you know, we might start with a million eggs and still end up with half a million fish when all said and done. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're getting 50 percent or more, more return rate on those fish. But again, they're in ideal conditions. They have clean water. There's no predators uh, besides each other. And maybe some, you know, birds once in a while, which we control those too. Uh, <laughs> that'll be for a different episode. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, the survival rate really is much higher than it is in the wild. And that kind of goes back to my analogy earlier, the preschool for fish, is that, you know, we're getting them to a big enough size where really you're not seeing as much loss uh, and near, not nearly as much as you would see in wild populations. Right. Because uh, it's not just predators getting them. Sometimes even just some strong wind can blow an entire nest of eggs up on the shore and they wouldn't even hatch. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but our survival rate is much higher, you know, and depending on the species, 
I mean, you could see anywhere from, you know, 50% upwards of even 80% or higher in some fish, which is awesome. So, but uh, you can have bad years too, but that's why we partner with other hatcheries too, is that, you know, if something does happen, let's say we get a bad batch of eggs, we can make calls to other hatcheries in other states and get the eggs or the baby fish that we need uh, to meet our quotas, you know? So it's good to have those partner groups uh, if you need them. Uh, and even if you don't, it's good to talk shop with them and see how everybody's caring for their fish, you know? Interesting. So what what would technically just make like a bad batch of eggs just like they just didn't all get fertilized <laughs> or oh, the way man. they came in, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, sometimes it can be, you know, the age of the fish has to do with it. Usually the older the fish, the less viability you get on the eggs. So you do want those kind of mid-aged fish to younger fish because you might not get as many eggs as, say, a really big female fish, but you're getting better return because they're in the prime of their lives, so to speak. Um, and you do see a drop-off after certain ages. But there could also be fungus. Um, you know, if you're fertilizing eggs, maybe the fertilization didn't take. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different factors so it's not just one thing, but, you know, there are times you can lose eggs or you can lose fish, but there's there's ways to remedy that. You know, we do medicate if we need to uh, with the eggs. You know, you can always get eggs from other hatcheries because most states have surplus uh, unless they're having a really bad year, too. But, you know, there's not too many times we have to rely on that, but it does happen. You know, the system's not perfect and there's still animals at the end of the day. And how do you guys get the eggs? Like, how do, what does that look like? You, <laughs> like, I'm not, it's not just an Amazon box, right? No, <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that though. So, okay. So there's three main ways we get eggs at our facility. Um, one way is we actually have biologists and some of our staff go out and actually set nets. Uh, we'll collect fish like pike and muskie in the early spring, uh, right after ice out for pike, they spawn early and muskie aren't too far after. But we'll actually have nets set and we'll bring those adult fish back to the hatchery. We'll physically remove the eggs from the females. But they are alive. We're not killing them to remove the eggs. You know, we do release them back into the lake. But we also do that with pike as well. And we fertilize them right on site. So we do it right there with our staff. It's a big event. The public always comes. Uh, as far as tours, we're booked solid that week because yeah. everybody wants to see muskie being uh, you know, baby muskie being basically brought into the world, which is really cool. But um, that's one way is we can go out and catch adult fish and bring them back to the hatchery. We also have thousands of adult fish like bass living on site. We can actually harvest eggs from them. We have okay. nest boxes that we set out uh, and then they lay their eggs on the nest boxes. It's basically mesh window screen in a metal box and we lift it out and we bring the eggs inside to incubate. Um, if we let them spawn out in the ponds, we probably wouldn't have many babies left just because they'd eat each other. But that's another way. And, you know, you mentioned Amazon. Um, strangely enough, we actually do get eggs shipped in the mail. Okay. So um, there's days in the fall when we're doing salmon and trout. Um, not salmon because our staff usually goes up and gets, gets them from Michigan or Wisconsin. But like trout, for example, I'll be given a tour or I'll be downstairs in our production rooms. I'll get a knock on the door. UPS man hands me a box and there's 500,000 trout eggs in there. So wow. you get them shipped in the mail. Yeah. The cool huh. thing about that is that usually when they come in, they're eyed, meaning that you can see the little baby fish inside and you just wow. see an eye looking back at you. It's really, really cool. 
Um, and usually those eggs hatch within a couple days to a week of them arriving. But yeah, those are the main ways we get eggs. Um, and again, we can get them shipped or even brought in from other states if, you know, we have an issue. Very cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, um, the only reason I joked about that, my uh, daughter's uh, eighth grade uh, science class raised brook trout. And uh, that's how they got them. And they, I remember joking with their science teacher that he got an Amazon package of brook trout eggs. <laughs> and uh, I always that say that we get them in the mail, but I encourage our tour groups and our guests to not try that at home. <laughs> um, especially if you're not home very often, you don't want just fish eggs laying on your front porch. That would yeah. be sad. So. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Oh my gosh! So, um, out of all the, the the fish you raise, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Um, oh man, you know, <laughs> I would say out of the fish we raise, um, I would say northern pike are one of my favorite. Um, they take to food pretty well, and they're just they're beautiful little fish when they hatch out and as you watch them grow. Uh, alligator gar are my favorite, just because you know they kind of get bad reputation and it's undeserved. Um, you know, I can't get into all the reasons why, but uh, I've worked with Gar for years. And if you ever watch them in a tank, uh, unless they're feeding, they are one of the laziest fish. I mean, they are just like sausages with fins. They are just <laughs> super. Um, they're they're cool, though. I like them. And then uh, I, you know, I really like our salmon. Um, but I think I'm biased because I grew up near Lake Michigan. But it's neat to watch them grow up and get stocked. And then, you know, see them take off in the lake. And, you know, you think to yourself when you see them get shot into the harbors, you think, I'm going to see you in a couple of years when you're 20 pounds. Yeah. So that's that's pretty exciting, too. But those are my favorites. Um, you know, least favorite, I would say, are probably musky just because they're pretty hard to care for. Um, and largemouth bass, just because, like I said, they could be real finicky and they, they just love to eat each other. So... <laughs> I guess that's the reason why there's baby bass color lures. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Baby yeah. bass is a great color in spring and it's no coincidence why. So <laughs> that's funny. Eating machines. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, any, anything else that you wanted to touch on? Um, you know, I wish we had more time. I'm just I looking know. at the clock here. Uh, library will be closing here in a few minutes. So I would say well, just, yeah, uh, where can folks uh, find more about you or like, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's actually, I think a good way to wrap up um, at least for this session. I mean, I'd love to be back if you'd have me. Um, this has been great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as far as uh, where you can find us, uh, Facebook, we do have Jake Wolf fish hatchery and you can find us on Facebook uh, right now. Our uh, profile photo is some baby alligator gar we have a cover photo of some lake sturgeon, so it should be pretty easy to find us. But we also have our website, which is iFish Illinois. And iFish Illinois has updates on your favorite bodies of water, what we're stocking in them, and kind of how the fish populations are doing, and also public access information. And that's updated by our state biologists regularly. And again, that's iFish Illinois. And then Jake Wolf Fish Hatchery on Facebook. And then if you ever want to visit us, again, we're about half an hour south of uh, Pekin, Illinois, and we're about an hour south of Peoria. We're also about an hour from Springfield, Illinois, and about three hours from Chicago, but we offer tours throughout the year. Just give us a call or shoot me an email. All that information's on iFish and our Facebook page. Uh, tours are free of charge, and we offer them throughout the year. If you want to see trout and salmon hatching, 
Uh, fall and winter are a great time to come. Right now we're getting in fish for the state fair. So tomorrow our interns will be out in the boat catching probably five foot long alligator gar for the state fair. We got in some sturgeon uh, and some other fish from the Mississippi today. So really exciting. But those are the best places to find us. Um, and if you had any questions about our local fisheries, our fisheries biologist information is also on that iFish website. Uh, you could find their email addresses and phone numbers if you had questions about your local bodies of water. Otherwise, yeah, I encourage anybody who's in the area to come down and visit us or at least check out our Facebook page to see all the cool stuff that we do. And as word gets out about us, we hope to do more media broadcasts like this to get the word out about what our hatcheries do and all the benefits that we create for Illinois anglers. Well, very awesome. cool. So, well, thanks for what you guys do to, you know, keep, keep us, you know, doing what we love to do. You know, uh, we, we uh, probably would not be doing near what we do without the help of you guys. So yeah, without, and I always say without the anglers, we wouldn't exist either. So thank you for your contributions. Uh, thank you for getting the word out about us and everything else that you guys do. Uh, it really is a mutual relationship, you know, one can't exist without the other. So it's great to talk about what we do and it's great to see what you guys do. Uh, I had a great time tonight. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely have to have you back on. So yeah, this was a lot of fun. So looking forward to the broadcast and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be back. But if you guys need anything else, you feel free to contact me and yeah, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Awesome. All right. Well, Susie, you want me to wrap it up? If you want to, you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another uh, episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. You guys have a good night. All right. <laughs>